Holy Spirit, only you know, truly know, the heart of God the Father. And I just want to thank you for giving us your word, giving us the word from the Father, so that we can know just how much God loves us. And thank you, Lord, for the words that you've given me and the work that you've done in my life over the last couple of years and uh, your faithfulness in, in your word and pointing me to the truth that you have for me. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, have control of my mouth this morning so that I can share with the people here the things that you have taught me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, thanks for being here, guys. Uh, it's great to be with you. Um, I appreciate you coming out, even though Andrew and Dante aren't here to preach. Um, you got the B team this morning, but maybe the C team. I don't know. But um, I'm going to try to make up for that by uh, giving you a two-for-one deal this morning. Uh, we're really going to have two sermons today. Um, the first one is just about the Bible and work. But before we launch into what the Bible says about work, we're going to take a little detour and talk about why we care what the Bible says about work, because it's really important to understand. Um, many of you have been following along with me over the last couple of years, the struggles that I've had in my job, my career. Um, it's been really tough. I've talked to a lot of you, and many of you can relate to those struggles. Um, many of you have very similar experiences. Um, a lot of my challenges at work had to do with the nature of the work itself, it was super stressful, and on top of that, the company culture was really toxic, and um, I didn't deal with that very well, and so really in the main, the problems that I had at work were just my own sinful and idolatrous approach to work, um, and God has taught me some very hard lessons about the proper place for work in my life. Um, and I really appreciate your prayers throughout that whole period. As I was going through all of that, I was seeking out and searching for resources to help me deal with work and understand God's will for work in my life. And um, what I found was a lot of books and articles and sermons that tell me not to be lazy. Um, I was astounded at how much material, there's like a tidal wave of material about how Christians shouldn't be lazy. That wasn't my problem. I don't think that's your problem either. I talk to a lot of you guys. Most everybody I talk to in the Bay Area is overworked, overstretched, overwrought, on the edge of burnout all the time. There's just not a lot of good material out there to help you deal with that, the crazy business of life. So at the end of all that searching, all I really had was the Bible. Um, which turns out uh, to be all I ever needed. Should have started there. That's the big lesson today. Um, if you're gonna end up there, you might as well start there. So um, before we go into what the Bible says about work, let's take a quick detour and uh, talk about why we should look at what the Bible says about work. So if you have a Bible, we're gonna start in 2 Timothy chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, we will be very happy. Raise your hand, and we will be very happy to give you one. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this Bible with you when you leave. We would love for you to have that. 
So let me read um, this. Before I do it, I want to set it up real quick. So what's going on in 2 Timothy is this is Paul's last letter to his protege, Timothy. And Paul can see that his ministry is coming to an end. He can see the end is near. And so he's giving Timothy his final counsel. So just think about that for a minute. If you knew you were going to die, what would you say to the people in your life who you love the most? I'm guessing you wouldn't talk about the Warriors game. You might, but I don't know. It is kind of important, but not as important as the truth that God has for you. And that's what Paul is doing here for Timothy. He's giving Timothy the best counsel he can give him at the end. Um, so here's what he says in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So two sentences, three huge truths in this passage of scripture. The first is the Bible's inspired by God. The second is it's true, and the third, it's enough. The Bible is inspired by God. What does that mean? So, in fact, in this particular passage of Scripture, Paul doesn't even say it's inspired. That's not the word he uses. He uses a Greek word here, theonoustos, which means literally God, theo, breathed noustos. So how does this work? God has a revelation for us. He has truth. So that's revelation, and so inspiration is the way that God reveals his truth to us. So he uses human beings. He uses human authors. Um, it's really cool what Peter does to help us understand a little better what this means. Peter in 1 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this doesn't mean the writers of Scripture were taking dictation. It's not like God was whispering every word in their ear and they were just writing down what he said. Um, he, used their, he let them use their words, their style, their experiences to convey the truth that God had imparted to them through the Holy Spirit. Um, so when you read the Bible... It's really important when you're reading what someone has written that was inspired by God to try to understand what is the point that they're trying to get across there instead of projecting onto it what we want it to mean. Because if you do that, you're going to miss the truth that God had for you. It's really important to read the Bible that way. Um, the Bible... Sorry. Okay. The Bible is true. Um, I can make a bunch of arguments based on evidence for you about why the Bible is true. I would say things like, we have 24,000 manuscripts, complete and incomplete, um, which you can go and look at anytime you want. Um, those passages that we have of the New Testament were quoted 86,000 times by early church fathers in the first and second century. That's a lot. Um, 
It's pretty amazing, in fact, just how much there is. Uh, many of these New Testament fragments, in fact, almost all of them that we have were, take, were copied from the originals within the first and second century. So within 200 to 250 years of Jesus' life. Um, in fact, you could take just the quotes of those originals by early church fathers and build all but 11 verses of the New Testament. It's, a, it's amazing how much material there is here. And what's even more incredible is how consistent it all is. Of all those quotations, all those manuscripts, all that volume of material, there are lots of little bitty differences, but there's only 50 that actually have any real impact, and none of them affect a major Christian doctrine or a command from God. That's incredible. By comparison, the writings of Plato, Aristotle, Tacitus, Plutarch, all of these things that we take for granted are far less well-resourced. Many of those manuscripts, the, the earliest ones that we have, are written a 1,000 years after the author died. Copies that old by comparison to the Bible. And we take them as true. The Bible is true. But the thing is, these facts alone aren't going to be enough to convince you that the Bible is true. You're not going to be convinced because I made a great argument like a lawyer based on the evidence. Um, whether or not you believe the Bible is true depends on whether you believe it when the Bible says that it's true. The Bible is self-authenticating. That's what this passage from 2 Timothy is. It's the Bible saying, hey, this is true. And whether you believe that depends on whether or not you have the faith that the Holy Spirit gives. That's what it depends on. Um, and I tell you what, when I was in the middle of my struggles with work and reading the scripture, just knowing that it was true um, was a huge blessing to me um, because the Bible is enough. Um, Paul, what, what does Paul tell Timothy here? He says the Bible is able to make you wise for salvation through, Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. So the gospel, right? That it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So sanctification, right? I mean, it's crazy. And that the Bible will make you complete, equipped for every good work. Mission. So the Bible is good for all these things, for salvation, for sanctification, and for being on mission. Um, no matter what you face, big or small, glorious or awful, uh, the Bible is God's great gift to you so that you can know how to think about that, how to feel about it too. To, to understand your own emotions and your own thinking about it and test, test what you feel, test what you think so you can know what God wants for you in that situation. And also so you can, like, God's with me. I don't feel alone in this anymore. It's a great blessing. Modern man says the Bible was written such a long time ago, right? The world is so different now. My life is completely different from somebody who lived in Greece or Rome in the first century. I mean, I drive a Prius, they ride donkeys, whatever, you know. Um, but I think that um, that's both inaccurate and an unbiblical way of thinking about people in that time and our time. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. I think the point there is that the desires of the human heart 
our natural tendencies, how we react to the various trials and triumphs of life are no different today than they were when the Bible was written. If you think about it, Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. Don't we? Really? If, you've, if we're honest. In fact, I, had, I would argue that's the modern worldview. You can't watch 30 minutes of TV today without being told repeatedly. What you really need to do is be your authentic self. What you really need to do is find your own truth. What is that except making yourself your own God? Just like at the very beginning when Adam and Eve did the same thing. They did it by eating the forbidden fruit. I did it by building an identity based on success at work. I put that ahead of God. That's what happened to me. And it happened in tiny little bitty increments over many, many years. Um, and God has really used a very hard time in my life to sort of peel back the layers of that. Um, so so grateful for that. So um, having talked about why we look at the Bible to understand this, let's, let's look at what the Bible says about work. Um, the first observation I would make is that the Bible says a lot about work. There is a lot of scripture about work. Um, it's amazing. Um, that makes sense, really, if you think about it. The Bible has a lot to say about how we spend our time and how we spend our money. Um, if you think about it, really, what do we have in this life to spend except days and dollars, really? These are the main things. Um, and so the Bible has a lot to say about that. Um, of all the passages in the Bible on work, the one that has ministered the most to me is Colossians 3, 23 through 24. So let's read that together. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In Ephesians 6, 7, and 8, Paul says nearly the same thing. He says, render service with a good will, and does this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. These passages and others in the Bible have revealed, I think, five really important things about work. And that's what I want to share with you that I've learned over the last couple of years. Number one is we should work. Number two, work is a blessing. That's sometimes hard to believe, but it is. Work is hard, probably no disagreement on that, right? Work can lead to idolatry. It can, it doesn't have to, but it can. And we must work for the Lord. No matter who we work for, we must work for the Lord. Um, so why should we work? This, this passage from Colossians starts with whatever you do, work heartily. We should work because we're made to. We're made to work. The very first words of the Bible in Genesis 1-1 show God at work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation is work. God does work. Then God made us. He made us in his image. So God works and made us in his own image, so we're designed, like him, to work. Because God loved Adam and Eve, and he wanted to bless them, he placed them in the garden specifically to work it 
and keep it. And this wasn't like a, a onerous task. I'm going to make you work. It was a blessing. So God made Adam and Eve in his own image and gave them work to do. So when we work, we're living out God's design for humanity. So what is work? What counts as work? So to be sure, work includes the work you do so that you can eat and pay your bills and all that stuff. Um, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, Paul writes, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So it seems like, and this is the second time he had to tell this, tell the church at Thessalonica to do this. They, they had a little problem with their work ethic there. Uh, so very much unlike the Bay Area in that way, I think. Um, but 1 Timothy 5, 8, Paul goes even further and he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So is that clear enough? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty onerous, right? I mean, the Bible... It's funny how the main things tend to be the plain things. We should work. And I have to tell you, these, these two pieces of Scripture weighed very, very heavily on me um, when I was considering what should I do in my career situation, which had gotten so awful. Um, and they still weigh on me because you're looking at a guy who quit his job. I quit my job. And uh, that was a really hard decision to make. Um, and I sought out the prayer and counsel of many people in this room. And it took a long time to get to that place because I feel the weight of this scripture. God wants us to work. He wants us to take care of our families. It's much like he's taking care of us. He's working. He's taking care of us. We should work and take care of each other. So before you start thinking that this message isn't for you because... You don't work a nine-to-five job. Um, let's look back at what Colossians 3.23 says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Whatever. So we, you know, we have this tendency probably to project our 21st century about what work is. So as a result of that, our idea about work gets really narrowly defined to a job, a career, a profession. Um, I think the biblical concept and the claim that God has made on our life is much grander thing than just a job. The biblical concept of work seems to encompass basically all productive human effort. So I, I, I spent a little time thinking about like if, what might work look like if it's not just like a job. So work, I think, desi includes designing and building of products and other useful things. Like I have a friend who makes beautiful furniture and other things out of wood. That's work. Um, Jesus was a carpenter. That's work. Work includes tending and cultivating living things. Uh, when I was growing up, we had a garden in the backyard. Always did. So planting, fertilizing, watering, weeding, harvesting, that's all work. Um, it's very gratifying work, too, getting dirt under your fingernails. <laughs> Tanya loves that. <laughs> work includes, and this will touch on many of you, the creation of art books, blogs, articles, speeches, music, film, video. 
all of these creative outlets, that's work. Miguel and the worship team, they make beautiful music. It's work. If you come early, like at 8.15, and listen to them practice, it's work. They had quite the lengthy discussion earlier about whether or not a particular chord was a G or a, a, a G flat. So as I think you settled on that, that love, the lyric right there, love is a G flat. So love is a G flat. But you know, it took a while to figure that out. It's work. Um, it's work, and it's super gratifying um, for us to be the beneficiaries of that work. Um, Jackie, Jackie writes books. That's work. That's really hard work. Um, it's a painful process sometimes and a lengthy process. Um, Martin, he's, he generates a lot of communication for us every week so that we can all know what's going on at, at the church. That's work. Um, Helen, Helen Wu makes some of the most intricate and beautiful art. It's work. It takes a lot. You, got, you pour a lot of yourself into that, and it's work. It's the kind of work God meant for us to do. Um, work includes the effort you put into gaining knowledge or helping others gain knowledge. Um, study is work. Uh, I think of Dennis Tuma. Um, he's gone back to school to further his engineering education, um, and that's really hard work, especially when you get to be our age. It, the thing just doesn't work like it used to, you know? So um, teaching is work. Um, we have a lot of teachers in our church who pour their heart and soul into educating our children. It's such an important job, and it's really hard work. Kevin Pete spends countless hours preparing to teach in his home group every week. That's work. Um, work includes science. We've got a lot of scientists in our church. Um, Mike Son, Mitsuo Oka, Al Krizinga, uh, Chris Benson, who's a physicist. I mean, just amazing. The, the, the hard work and time and attention they put into helping us understand God's natural world and creation. That's work. Um, last but certainly not least, maybe even the most important kind of work is having and raising children. Amen? Yeah, absolutely. When God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So if you're raising children, you know that's work times 10. Amen? And work is a blessing. God designed work to be a blessing. When it goes well, by God's grace, that feels really good, doesn't it? You know, that sense of accomplishment that you get? Some of that may be pride, but some of it is because you're doing what you're designed to do. You're doing what God made you to do. It feels good. Um, work is an instrument of God's common grace. Let's think about this for a minute. We're, the work of billions of people for millennia has given us a world of incredible sophistication and quite a degree of comfort that people have never experienced before. Let's just think about this chair you're sitting on right here. This thing, this little thing out of metal and plastic. If you had to, could you make that thing yourself from scratch? In your entire lifetime, probably not. Someone has to dig the metal ore out of the ground, crush it into tiny rocks, 
smelt it in a smelter, add some other kind of metal to it to make it lighter and stronger. Then they've got to cut it and bend it. And before you can do any of that, you've got to make all the machines you use to do it. And even if you could do that, then you've got to spend the rest of your time figuring out how you're going to refine and compound all the chemicals that make this plastic. You can't do it. We couldn't do it. Work turns out to be one of the ways that God draws us into community with each other. Isn't that amazing? We could not do it on our own. Um, it's, just a, it's just an incredible thing to see so much progress of modernity in technology and medicine, nutrition, civil society, human rights. All of this is the result of our individual and collective work over many, many years. Because work is something we do as image bearers of the Trinitarian God. Our work benefits all of humanity and draws us into community together to do it the way God did. This shouldn't surprise us, really. After all, I mean, the passages we read in Colossians and Ephesians contain a promise the work you do for the Lord will be repaid by the Lord. Do you get that? If you work for the Lord, not for men or for yourself, the Lord will repay you for that. This is tricky. Think that through for a minute. A lot of people get this wrong. This has led to all kinds of weirdness, prosperity gospel and all the rest. This doesn't mean if you work for the Lord, you'll get all the stuff you want. If you work so you'll get what you want, you're not working for the Lord. You're working for yourself. This kind of work that we're talking about, that Paul is talking about in Colossians and in Ephesians, is sacrificial work. It's for God. But it also turns out to be the best thing that you could ever do for your own joy. It's the best way to spend your time in this life. We need to stand on that promise, people. We need these promises because work is hard. It's way hard. Unfortunately for now, work is one of those things we were created to do that has been tainted by sin. Because of Adam's sin, God has cursed the ground and our work because of it. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden he made for them, here's what God said to Adam. Because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's pretty harsh. Some think this just means that the ground in the Garden of Eden was cursed, and some people just think it means that the dirt is cursed. Um, I think from our own experience, um, we can say that it's more than just the dirt, and the curse runs well beyond the Garden of Eden. Uh, it seems to me that when God cursed the ground, that means that all the things God created and gave us to do our work have been tainted by sin. We all know what this looks like. In big ways and small ways, if you're engaged in work, when you get to the end of whatever that is, you know in some way it's just not quite perfect. Um, 
I like to make furniture and do woodwork and stuff, and I've made a lot of pieces of furniture over the years. And um, whenever I think about a particular piece that I made, the very first thing that comes to mind is that tiny little flaw, that one thing that I couldn't fix. If I had it to do over again, I'd do it differently. It's cursed. That's the, that's the result of sin. Things are just not going to be perfect, unfortunately. Um, Tanya's grandfather was a farmer. He farmed thousands of acres um, in the Mississippi Delta, and sometimes the rains never came, and the crop failed. That's how that works. Sometimes the rains came, and the bugs came too, and they ate everything. Picking cotton is labor-intensive, and then some genius invented this machine that would pick it for you. They cost $750,000 these days, these things. Um, Right, it seems like the labor would be cheaper, but back in the day when he was exploring using all this new technology, on a regular basis, that thing would get clogged up, catch on fire, and burn to the ground in the middle of the field. <laughs> all these things we do to try to work around the hardship that sin has brought into our work. Strange. Um, it reminds me of a song uh, by a guy named Jimbo Mathis. Um, He's uh, from our home state, and uh, he wrote this song called um, The Days of High Cotton. Um, and the last verse goes like this. It rained all summer. There was a hard frost in the fall. The front of my house got tore off by a cannonball. Cotton bowls have all rotten. The bowl weevil just left town. From the shacks to the mansion, everything's tumbling down. Old times, they are not forgotten in the days of high cotton. Sometimes the cotton is high and sometimes it's not. And whether or not it is doesn't depend on our work. We can try as hard as we might, but sometimes we just can't control the outcome. You feel that in your own work, right? Sometimes you think you did everything right and it still just doesn't work out. Because our sin, our sin and the sin of other people affects our work. Right? Even if you weren't sinful, other people are. The people that you work with, they're just like you. you know. Um, the sinfulness of other people can make your work just that much harder. Um, at the same time, very often the work is impossible without them. You just love that irony, right? They drive you crazy, but you can't do it without them. Uh, this is one of the things that I've learned being a, uh, in positions of leadership in the private sector is yeah, you know, as difficult as it is to have people reporting to you and, and trying to work with other people to get things done, there's no other way. You need them. Um, but this leads to all kinds of crazy dysfunction, petty jealousy, conflict, gossip, office politics, ugh. Right? As a Christian, working alongside other people, this is really important, and this has been the most convicting thing about work for me. As a Christian working alongside other people, the effectiveness of my witness for Christ depends a great deal on how I react to the sinfulness of other people and how they see me take responsibility for my own sin. Uh, you, you really want to shock people? Go into your work and apologize to somebody in this society, in this culture. People don't know what to do with that. What, who is this guy? Where, what, what's happened to you? That's the kind of thing that the Holy Spirit can do in your life.
Um, another way that work is tainted by sin um, is idolatry. Uh, work can become a false god in our lives. Success at work can become an idol. The money and things we gain through work can become idols in our life. Of course, the false god we worship the most is us. It's ourselves. And so the nature of our work and how well we do it can feed our own worship of self. In time, your work can become your identity. It feeds into your belief in your own superiority. So let's do a thought experiment for a minute, just for a moment. Don't think about other people like your spouse or your friends or your boss. Think about yourself. Are you spending more time at the office than the work itself really requires? Have you become a stranger to your family because of work? Are you saying yes to things that you know you shouldn't? Just because you know if you're able to do it, somebody's going to give you a big attaboy. People will think well of you. You need that. Do you get angry with people in the office when they do or say things that might cause you or your work to be seen as less than perfect? Do you attempt to control all aspects of the work and everyone who does it? Trying to control the outcome all the time so you'll look good. Do you hold your tongue when you see something immoral or unethical? You don't want to be the squeaky wheel. You don't want to be the guy, right? Hey, I have a problem with that thing that everyone else is okay with. Do you laugh at the boss's dirty jokes? Yeah, done that. Do you think your job is hard and everyone else's is easy? Uh -huh. Do you catch yourself saying things like, I just don't understand why they couldn't do it right the first time? <laughs> uh -huh. Do you think, act, or talk like everyone else is lazy or stupid? All these things are a sign that work has become an idol in your life, that it's become so important to your identity that you put it before God, you put it before the other people in the world that he loves as much as you. There's only one way to get out of this box, and that is to do what Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, and to work for God. Work for the Lord and not for yourself and not for other people. Look, you're going you're gonna to have a job, possibly. You're going to do work for a, a man, a woman, a company, for clients. So you're going to work for them, but really you're going to be working for the Lord. That's the only way to defeat the effect of sin in your work and to put to death the idolatry that you've made out of your work. Um, the best thing to do is to think about Jesus. Isn't that the answer to every question, right? Jesus is kind of the ultimate spoiler alert, right? Like whatever your question is, whatever your problem is, Jesus, right? Sin, Jesus is your answer. Idolatry, Jesus. 
I can't stand my boss. Jesus. Right? Your boss ain't Jesus, but Jesus is the answer to that. What, is, what does Mark say? Mark in, in Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I, I doubt that you're going to have to give your life as a ransom for anyone, but for sure, you can go to work every day to serve others and not yourself. Take Jesus as your model. The really challenging thing is that through our own effort and our own human strength, we can't actually do that. You'll drive yourself nuts trying. What we really need, especially if you're struggling with sin at work and idolatry, what you really need is a miracle. You need the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. And the way he does that is through this book that we've been reading. That's the way he's done it in my life. I wasn't holed up in the closet waiting for a special revelation from the Holy Spirit. He could have done that, I suppose, but even if he had, I would have to go to the Word and test what spiritual experience I'd had. We aren't good enough to tell when we have a spiritual experience. We can't tell whether or not that's really coming from God. The only way to know is to test it against the Word of God. So as I said at the beginning, if you're going to end up there, you might as well start there. So this is super practical advice, but really important for all of us as Christians is to read our Bible on a regular basis and pray. We should pray that the Holy Spirit will help us understand what it is that God is trying to reveal, us, reveal to us in the Bible and then use that to transform our hearts in time. Um, so dive into the Word of God. Devote yourself to prayer so you can be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then through the, Holy, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can go to work and do what the Bible says. Something that's been helpful for me, um, especially in the last few months that I was at work, that helped me get my mind around what was going on there, is just... To use that commute, I cross the Richmond San Rafael Bridge every day to go to work, and just to use that commute time to pray, Lord, this is beyond me. Help me. Help me, Lord, to work for you, to be a great witness for the saving grace of Jesus Christ in my workplace, to turn work into the mission field to be an evangelist for Jesus Christ in that place. And if the time comes when you have to shake the dust off your feet and move on somewhere else, you can do that. I'm not saying go quit your job. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that maybe that's what you should do. Um, you should do what I did for sure, and that is seek out a lot of wise counsel 
there's a, some many very wise people in this church who know this, this Bible really well, um, and they can speak into your situation and, um, and make you think of things that you haven't thought of before. So um, let me pray for us that we will do that. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and the incredible life-changing, eternity-altering power that it contains. Just thank you, Lord, that you inspired so many people down through history to write these books, and thank you, Lord, for preserving this truth down through history so that we could have it and be the beneficiary of it. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help those of us who are having struggles in our work, whatever that may be. Lord, help us to be in your word and saturated by it and transformed by it so that in our work we can work for you. Let all of our work be about you and for you and for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.